Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode two of How Do You Write? And I am glad you are here. Later on in the show, I'm going to interview Carrie Luna. And some of you know her for who she is. She's one of my very, 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 very best friends. Uh, She knows more about me than she should. We are each other's early, early draft readers. And I'm very glad that she agreed to be my first interviewee. So um, how has my week gone process-wise? It has been a good one, even though it's been a pretty crap week. Uh, I had to revise a book that's called On the Market. Um, I had five days to do it, and I did it Monday through Friday of this week. I was revising exactly 15,600 words a day, I think, something like that. Um, I got her done and felt pretty good about it, but in during the week, uh, my wife lost her job, so I had kind of a full-blown panic couple of nights. Uh, I've recently gone full-time writing, and that is not enough to pay the bills, so I was up all night scrambling for ideas the way you do. Uh, however, I will say that that did not stop me from revising the next day, those two insomnia nights. Um, it used to be that if I had a night of not sleeping at home when I wasn't at work, which was the 911 all the time job, 48 hours, we were at the fire station. And if I had a night that I didn't sleep at home, the rest of my long weekend was just completely gone. I couldn't recover. Uh, What's interesting to write full time is that I just stayed up all night and I researched a bunch of things, um, writing ideas. And then I had a little nap and then I got up and I worked a little bit during the day and then I had a little nap and then I worked some more and I actually felt pretty refreshed during that whole uh, next day during which I'd only had an hour of sleep. And um, so that was really a nice surprise. I don't think that it degraded my revision skills. I did go back over those with an awake eye after I'd had some sleep and and they looked good. So that is in, um, that's done. That was my process this week. And now I would like to just jump right on into the interview because I was so excited to talk to Carrie. I forgot to give her bio as we were talking. So I'm going to give it to you right now because you need to know who she is. She is the author of The Revolution of Every Day, which is one of my very favorite books too. Uh, it won the 2015 Oregon Book Award for Fiction. Let me say that again. The 2015 Oregon Book Award for Fiction. This is a huge national literary honor. It's not like every state is known for their award for fiction. Oregon is. Um, I'm just still so proud of that. Her writing has appeared in Salon, Electric Literature, The Rumpus, Pank, and elsewhere. And she lives in Portland, Oregon. So I hope you enjoy the interview. Well, hello, Carrie Luna. Hello, Rachel Heron. It is no secret that we are friends and that I am so glad you are on the podcast today. How do you write? And uh, in fact, you're my first guest because you're the absolute first person I would ever think of to do this kind of thing. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Would you mind sharing with our listeners just a little bit about what your book is that's out right now? Um, I have a novel out. It's been out for quite some time now, actually, almost two and a half years it's been out. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, we're going on three years in October. 
Uh, so it's a toddler now. Um, <laughs> it's, called, it's called The Revolution of Every Day. And it is set in New York's Lower East Side in the mid-90s in a community of squatted buildings, told from the point of view of five different squatters. And you know that I absolutely love that book. I cannot recommend more highly everyone to run out and buy The Revolution of Every Day, and I can't wait for your next book. So I would love to ask you about your writing process. The reason I'm doing the po this podcast is that this is the kind of thing I always skip to in interviews. I want to know. I always hope that people ask writers this. So um, what is the best time of day for you to write? Well, it, it's changed. Um, ideally, I would get to write from, say, 10 in the morning to 6 in the evening with a couple of breaks for, for food and walking. Um, but I have two young kids. And... So I don't get to do that anymore. So my writing schedule is completely determined by the kids' schedule and the, and the rhythms of the family. The best I can do is work when they're at school. So I drop them off um, 8.45 in the morning. I come back. I spend an hour or two on paid work. And then I have time to write until, well, depending on how the paid work goes. And if I have to go grocery shopping and if the cat doesn't need to go to the vet and if we're not out of chicken feed. Okay, so paid <laughs> work and running the household, yeah. I get that done and out of the way, except when I don't. And, um, and then I write until I pick the kids up at three. Do you I find used, it? Go on. Okay, I used to then, you know, join the family run dinner and all of that, get everybody to sleep, including my husband, and then come back down to my office and write from like, say, 10 at night till two in the morning. And I did, that was how I wrote a few books that way. I remember. Um, uh, yeah. And uh, I got a lot of writing done and my health started to suffer from not getting enough rest. And so I decided that my family and my writing were not getting the best of me if I wasn't functioning and if I wasn't taking care of myself. And so I had to make the really hard decision to stop writing at night. Yeah. And I remember that's something that does work for your brain, whereas it doesn't work for mine. Anything after 10 p.m., I'm brainless. I can write. I had to train myself to write at night. It took, it was about a two week adjustment when I started doing it. And then it started to work really well for me in terms of creativity and productivity. Not so much in terms of health. So I'm very glad you're taking care of your health. And I do miss you at those two o'clock in the morning times when <laughs> nobody else was awake. But of course, well, now I'm working, now, I'm writing full time and I'm sleeping at two in the morning usually. Exactly. You know, it was nice to always know that when you weren't saving lives, you were bored and waiting for my angsty email. I really was. I still <laughs> am, honestly. <laughs> okay. And now how do you write? Can you tell us, do you do anything longhand? Do you use... Um, just computer, what program do you use? I keep a notebook for every project and I carry it with me at all times and any thoughts or bits of dialogue or ideas that come to me as I'm moving through my day, I'll pull up a notebook and I'll write in that. Longhand is good for me for puzzling through problems. It's good for me for um, getting the initial ideas down, it doesn't work for me for generating the actual prose because my hand is much slower than my brain. And my best work in terms of language happens in first draft. 
And I, I revised, as you know, because listeners, Rachel is my, my most trusted draft reader and she sees all the ugly bits that, that don't go out into the world. Um, and revision. listeners, they're not ugly, honestly, I can tell you. <laughs> they might not make it in a book. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in revision, I need to make the logic work and support all of, of the, the language that's coming out. But I never revise for language. I'm, I'm lucky in that way. Less lucky in that logic comes later for me. <laughs> so um, I don't draft longhand because I'm afraid I'm going to lose the good stuff. So mm. all writing happens on the computer. In First drafts are in Scrivener. But I don't like to revise in Scrivener. So I, I, I write the first draft in Scrivener. Then I compile to Word and all revisions happen in Word. And I don't know why. It's just it's what feels right to switch to Word for revision. That's exactly what I do. And I wish I didn't. Um, I wish I revised in Scrivener. But that's exactly my process, too. I see that you're sitting in your office. And is that where you write most often? I also know that you go to the cafe and you have a favorite chair. I write in my office whenever I can, which is when the kids aren't in the house. I, I write best here. This is my favorite place in the world. I've got my stuff all around me. I'm really into stuff. I'm a very tactile person. Um, you know, I've got my, my pine cone collection and all that crap. Um, where are we on FCC in terms of language for this podcast? Oh, way? I think I'm trying to keep it clean. But if you swear, I'll, I'll, I'll bleep it out or we'll leave it in and we'll call it explicit because that's exciting. I'll just try and behave myself, um, which is an effort, but I can do it. Uh, so, yeah, I write. I love my office is my favorite place to write. But if the kids are home and I'm trying to sneak some work in, it just doesn't happen. Even if they're trying to leave me alone, they're just they're they're 10 and 6 and they're noisy and they're needy. And my husband is noisy and needy. And uh, and, and so if. I need more work time than I'm getting when they've been at school or in summer camp. Then I'll say, Billy, you know, please take the kids for today. I'm like, probably one Sunday a month it'll happen. Mm-hmm. He'll take the kids and I'll go to a cafe. And I do have my favorite chair when I can get it because it puts my back to the wall and nobody can see my screen. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's very important. And it's very important. Yes, an outlet and a back to the wall. That's all I really need. Well, also it's, with your back to the wall, you can watch the people which to me is half half the fun of being there. Mm. Also very distracting. Very distracting, <laughs> yes. What secret writing tip of awesomeness did you discover the hard way? Very hard way. I learned that for me, because I'm very impressionable, I cannot share my first drafts with anybody, even you. When I was getting my MFA at Brooklyn College, I was writing my first novel, Long may it fester in the drawer and never see the light of day called the drown, called drowning practice. It was, you know, it was me learning how to write. And I keep looking at my own face instead of yours. I'm a bad skyper. That's why I put on lipstick. <laughs> um, so I was learning to write a novel by writing this novel. And so that's great. It was valuable for that. But because I was in grad school and I needed material to turn into workshop on a regular basis, I was workshopping it as I was writing it. And so before I even really understood what it was about, particularly because I'm not an outliner, I write my first drafts as free write. And 
I try to move quickly and not judge or think too much as I do it, which is important for my process and the way my brain works. So I was, before I really knew what it was about, I was getting other people's opinions on it. And that proved really harmful for me because I needed to sit alone with it and let it become what it was going to become, see the shape, and then revise, and then maybe get other people's feedback. But, you know, the the old saying, uh, a camel is a racehorse built by committee. <laughs> and um, and I turned my racehorse into a camel because that person's feedback made sense and that person's feedback made sense. And I got, I ended up, I don't know, you know, I don't know what that book would have become if I would already had a process in place and known to protect it. I didn't. And it ended up really far removed from that initial seed that inspired it. And I know that it wasn't what it could have been. So no matter how much I want your opinion in particular on something, I will never say, hey, here's 25 pages of something I'm working on. Of an idea. Because I know that for me, it just won't work for me. I'm going to, if I go into a first draft thinking anybody might see it besides me, I'm going to be more protective. I'm not going to be as open and free with it because I'll always be thinking of other people's opinions and what, you know, what, what, what would Rachel think about that? And that's mm-hmm. in first draft yeah. for me. That's, that's a really good way to say it. I think I, I think that I know that happened to me in my MFA program too. And I, I, uh, I have no idea what that horrible book could have been. I think yours was probably lovely, but mine was, mine was literally drafted by committee and it's never, there's never going to be a word of that scene anywhere. Well, I have the first line of that tattooed on my leg, and that's the only part that will ever be published. (laughs) I think that's lovely. Mm -hmm. How do you refill your creative well? I mean, you've got not only the challenge of writing, but the the running the family and the kids. How do you get that refill? I take really long walks. That I try to build that into my day as much as I can as well. and I combine it as often as I can with either, you know, I listen to music or I listen to an audiobook. I've gotten really into borrowing audiobooks from the library lately for my phone. And I'll, I'll just ramble through, I live in Portland, I'll ramble through the city with a really good book in my ears. And, and it just, it feeds me, you know, and in much of this, um, it's a different experience than reading. And I read a ton too. But to now I'll, I'll be walking, I'll take a certain, I'll be walking through the town, I'll take a certain turn, and I'll remember something that happened in a chapter of, say, um, the goldfinch as I was, I was on that corner. And so I'll associate um, experiences in these books with, with moving through my city. And uh, it just, it, it, it feeds me in a way that helps my own writing. That is wonderful. And lastly, can you share a quick craft tip on something that you've learned? Oh, um, yeah, I, it goes back to what I learned the hard way. I think that there's real benefit in not planning too much, in not outlining and free writing your first drafts and then promising your brain, promising yourself, nobody has to see this. Nobody is going to see this first draft but you. So you are completely free and safe to write badly because nobody ever died from writing badly <laughs> and everything can be fixed in revision as um, listener, listeners may or may not know that Rachel Heron is the queen of revision. 
love me some revision. I really, really, really do. I'm lucky enough to see several drafts of most of her books, and she is just, it's amazing what you accomplish in revisions. So, but every, but everything can be fixed in revisions. Yes. But I think it's important to give yourself permission to write that first draft unobserved so that you can let it surprise you and not worry, well, it would be embarrassing if I went there. Well, just go there because only you are going to know and then see if it works or not. Sometimes I literally have to call it the zero draft because even yeah. the first draft stresses me out too much. Yeah, we've, we've talked about it. I don't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> I love first draft. I love first draft. Oh, that could tear my hair out. <laughs> Well, Carrie Luna, thank you so much for being with us. Everyone, you have to go out and read The Revolution of Every Day. It's available from Tin House Press at all fine booksellers. And Carrie, thanks so much for being my inaugural interviewee. Thank you. Ask for more. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, where I live, or Facebook, where I don't, and look for the show notes and more fun at howdoyouwritepodcast.com. You can also support my Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a dollar an essay. Just go to patreon.com backslash Rachel, that's R-A-C-H-A-E-L, and now go to your desk and perform some of your own feats of writing daring do. Create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.